You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. Would you open your Bibles with me to to 1 Timothy chapter 6? We are continuing our series on Master Servant. This is a series on finances. Basically, we're zeroing in on the pitfalls of loving money. Okay, and um, this is our third week. We talked about greed, and um, greed is basically what fuels much of our much of the problems in in the world today. It's it's because of greed. Greed is not the only thing, but the Bible says the love of money is a, is a root of all kinds of evils. Okay, and the Bible is clear on that. We are to flee from the love of money, and we are to pursue God and His righteousness. And as we pursue him, he will cause us to, to be pursued by his blessing. So would you stand up right now? And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn it to, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We do have it here on the screen for you. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And today we're going to talk about selfishness versus generosity. Okay, selfishness versus generosity. Actually, we're going to read the passage we read last week, because that's going to be what we're going to be reading until next week, okay? So, verse 17 of First Timothy chapter 6, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth, your word is life, and your word sets us free. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds our spirit so that we may receive from your spirit the truth that you want us to have and let that truth lord be embedded deep in our hearts so that we will learn how to honor you through our wealth through the wealth that you give us and that we would not set our hearts on wealth but that we would set our hearts on you and so lord today we just ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us and teach us today according to your word in your precious name we pray Amen. You may have a seat. Okay, so we will be focusing on verse 18 today, okay? So, so they are to do good. Last week, we talked about verse 17, right? And I just want to give you a recap of that. But before we go there, I just want to ask this question to everybody. How can we move away from the grip of greed, okay? So from the love of money. You see, the context of what we're going to talk about today And what we've been talking about, actually, and even next week, is this. Paul was talking to Timothy. He was giving instructions to Timothy to instruct the people, those who are are desiring to get rich and those who are already rich, to flee the love of money. Okay? To flee the love of money. How many of you next know this coming week? What's this coming week? See, some of you are saying Black Friday already. So... (laughs) I mean, the, the exercise of, for most of well, the people here in America, I mean, the exercise of, uh, <laughs> of materialism and everything, it's, it's usually on Black Friday. And, and it's funny, they extend Black Friday now to like several weeks. Some establishments are celebrating Black Friday for two weeks. Some of you are like, really? What establishment? <laughs> so, uh, yes, you can get good deals there, uh, Black Friday, but again, Jesus is cautioning us really not to pursue, you know, the material things of this world. So we want, we want to learn how to move away from the love of money and the love of material possessions so that we will be unencumbered in our pursuit of God, okay? Because Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money at the same time. Either you will serve one or the other, okay? So, so again, the context of what we're talking about here is that you know, Paul was telling Timothy to instruct his people to flee 
the love of money, to flee from the grip of greed. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at. And last week, just to recap, we talked about verse 17, right? And in what we learned last week, the rich, the rich are commanded in Scripture not to be haughty. Okay, haughty is an attitude that feels superior and it looks down on others. Okay, uh, looks down on others. And that's usually what wealth brings. Wealth is so deceptive that it, when, once you have just even just a foretaste of it, just a little bit of it, you think you're better than everybody else. A lot of people tend to think that way, and that's the temptation that people experience, but they don't readily discern it, and they readily embrace it, okay? Because there's an innate, the desire to feel superior is, is inside of us, and that is brought about by our sinful nature, okay? Because we are sinful people. So the rich are commanded in Scripture not to be haughty. Secondly, the rich are commanded in Scripture not to put their trust or hope in riches. Okay? Whether you're rich or poor, most people, whether they're rich or poor, they tend to put their trust in riches. They tend to put their trust in what they have. Okay? But life is not all about what you have. Okay? And lastly, the rich are commanded in Scripture to set their hope in God. They are to set their hope in God. We are to set our hope in God. You see, God, the Bible says in verse 17 here, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, set our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, okay? For us to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy His blessing, but He wants us to understand that we are not to pursue His blessing. We are to pursue Him who gives the blessing, Right? Okay, so now let's go to verse 18 now. This is our focus for this week. Next week will be verse 19. So building on what we've, been, what we've learned last week and just the recap that we had, Paul here shares three additional, you would call it probably an antidote, I guess, because the love for money, greed, is like a poison. Okay, so and you need an antidote for that. You need to be... You need, uh, it's not, so this is not something you can drink, okay, it's just a metaphor. But Paul is sharing three additional things that we can do as we flee from greed and pursue God, okay? And it says here, the first one is this, command the rich to do good. Now, this in, in the English Standard Version, which is what we're reading right here, the English Standard Version says here they are to do good. In the New International Version, it, it renders it differently. It says, command them to do good. Command the rich to do good. But actually, the principles that we're going to learn here, it's not just only for the rich. It is specifically addressed to rich people. But the truth that Paul was communicating to Timothy and what Timothy was going to communicate to them is actually applicable also to those who are not rich. Okay, so even those who feel they're rich, okay, that this applies to you. Those who don't feel you're wealthy, this applies to you. So 1 Timothy 6, it says here, the first thing, first thing the rich are commanded to do is to do good. Command the rich not to be haughty, not to put their trust in riches, put their hope in God. And as they put their hope in God, they are to do good. Command them to do good. So we are... In, as we extend this principle here, we, we are commanded to do good. Now, what does that mean? The Greek word here, actually this phrase, do good, in the Greek is only one word. Now, remember, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so what we're reading here, this is English. This is a translation from the original Greek language uh, which the New Testament was written in. Most of the New Testament was written in. And now, the Greek word for this, okay, is, I don't want to say it, uh, agatho ergeo, it means to work good, to work good, to do well, and to act rightly. Okay? To, to work good, to do work on, in your work, basically, not to be sloppy, not to be mediocre, but do good, Okay, to do well in all things and to act rightly, to do the right thing, not the convenient thing, 
Okay? Not the, not the, uh, the popular thing. Not the thing that your culture tells you. Some people subscribe to the idea that the voice of the people is the voice of God. That is not necessarily the case. Remember the voice of the people. The voice of the majority said, you know, make us gods. Moses, whatever happened to this fellow Moses who brought us out from Egypt, you know, we we're longing. This, we're in the desert. Where our life is better back in Egypt. Yeah, they were slaves. They forgot they were slaves. They were being whipped. They didn't have freedom. But they longed for the life there as slaves than freedom in the desert. The desert is just a transitory place, okay, a transit area for them to get to where God wanted them to be. But the voice of the people clamored to Aaron, their, lead, uh, their high priest, make us gods. We want to worship the God who delivered us. And so God was so mad with them, okay? That's the voice of the people. What about this? There's a crowd gathered. There's a crowd gathered. And before the Roman governor of Judea, the crowd, the voice of the people rang clear and sounded as one. And they all said, crucify him. Now, again, Jesus dying was part of the plan. But can you imagine? Can you imagine you saying to the one who's going to save you? They were really guilty. See, the voice of the people is not necessarily the voice of God. Okay? So the voice of the majority is not necessarily the voice of God. So, so here, you are to do rightly. You are to do what is right, not what's convenient, not what is expedient, okay? Not what will just benefit you. Many times, the right thing to do is the hardest thing to do. The right thing to do is the inconvenient thing to do. But that is what we are to do. We are to do good. We are to make the hard choice, to do what's right. In a conflict, I always say this to people, um, you know, whenever I'm mediating between conflicts, you know, it's not about who is right. It's about doing what's right. If you're in the wrong, you do what's right. You ask, you, you repent, ask forgiveness, and make amends, you know. If you're in the right side of things, do the right thing, which is to extend forgiveness. Don't withhold forgiveness okay do what's right and so here the rich are commanded to do good and um, this word that i said this greek word let me say it let me read it again agatho ergeo means that it was only it's a rarely used verb in the greek language especially here rarely used word in the new testament but it was used here and in one other place. Here, the one, who's, who is command, the one is to do good are believers, people. But in the other instance, it was mentioned, that particular word, agath or ageo, it was mentioned in Acts 14. In Acts 14, verses 16 and 17, it says there, In the past generations, he, talking about God here, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So you see, God did good to you by making sure you have everything you need. That's what he was saying there. That's what, that's what uh, the author of Acts was saying. He did good by giving you rains. That's what you needed. Fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts. Food and with gladness. You see there, the only time, the two times it, this word was used in the New Testament, one referred to God doing it, and the second instance this word was used is used for people to do it. So in other words, what's the sense of this word right now? So, therefore, the sense of the word, of this word, phrase here is this. Going back to 1 Timothy, right there. They are to do good. To, that means they are to work good, do well, 
Do what is right just like God does. You are to imitate God in His goodness. God is good. How many of you have heard this? God is good. <laughs> and all the time. You've been hearing that, right? Okay, if God's good, we are to be like Him. We are to imitate. As we are pursuing Him, we are to be like Him. Now, how many of you, when you were younger, some of you really look way back. <laughs> when I was younger, pretty much my music is, you know, I, the era where I identify with as far as music is concerned is the 80s. Okay, so I'm an 80s kid. And so, pretty much um, the new wave thing before. So, we had, you know, new wave fashion, you know, the hairstyle, you know. So, and then we had, the, you know, the baggy pants and then all of a sudden it would go like that. <laughs> I don't know what's called, but anyway. But some people, they still dress like Elvis. That's why a lot of people don't believe Elvis is dead. <laughs> Elvis is in the building. <laughs> some people I knew um, emulated Michael Jackson. And so they had Michael Jackson posters in their rooms, right? And so when they, when they go out, they have this uh, sequin field gloves. Their pants are up to this high with white socks and all. And then those leather jackets, shiny jackets filled with a lot of metal studs and all. So Michael Jackson. So you become what you behold, basically. That's, that's what I'm saying. You know, whoever you're following... Whoever you're emulating, you're going to sound like that person. You're going to act like that person. You're gonna, somehow you're going to look like that person. I knew people we, who dressed up like Madonna or Cindy Lauper. You know, I said, are you, are you a fan of Cindy Lauper? No. Are you a fan of Madonna? No. Then how come you look like her? You know, I just, I just didn't dress up today. <laughs> you become what you behold. You become what you pursue. You look like the thing that you pursue. If you pursue money, you look like money. If you pursue God, you'll become like Him. Not you're going to become like a God. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you're going to become like Him in, his, in your character. As He is good, you're going to be good. As He is holy, then you will be holy. As He loves others, then you shall love others. Okay, Are you tracking what I'm saying here? You become what you behold. You become what you pursue. You become what you behold. And if you behold God, you will be like Him. I mean, how many of you also see this? I don't know how to explain this, but you know, two people, they're two different people, but when they get married, they're two different people. And from their perspective, they're still two different people 50 years later. I mean, they're two different people. Sip and Jesse just uh, got married yesterday. They're not here. They told me they're not here. Are, are you here? Are they here? They're not here? Okay, so they're in the honeymoon. Okay, so. <laughs> and. Uh, what a beautiful wedding. And a lot of people, when they get married, they think, oh, we're so alike. There's so many things that we have in common. But the more they, they grow together in their marriage, they realize more and more they're two different people. Okay? So, but everyone outside of that marriage, whenever they would look at them, they, for some reason, they kind of act the same. They kind of look the same at some point. How many of you, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, like, you sound like this person. You sound like your wife. You sound like your husband. And they take offense at that. I, I don't. <laughs> but you actually do, you know. <laughs> and then when you look at the, each other, it's like, you kind of look, somehow you, you, you look the same, and yet you're not. Is it just me? Are you, do you understand what I'm saying here? You become, you become that. So we become like God. Just like God, we are to do good. We are to be excellent in what we do. We are to be well, to do well in everything, and we are to do what's right. Okay, If you say you're a follower of Christ, we are to be like God. We are to be like Christ. Okay, Tell the per Ask the person next to you, do you see Christ in me? <laughs> we are to be like God. So do good. Rich folks, don't think you're high and mighty because of your wealth. Do good. Secondly, he says, aside from doing good, the rich are to be rich in good works. They are to be rich in good works, okay? But that also applies to all of us. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Neil, didn't you say good works mean nothing to, you know, to, uh, in, in Christianity? They do. The only time good works never work 
is if you make good works the prerequisite to salvation. When you say, when you depend on your good works to save you, when you depend on your good works to get you to heaven, when you depend on you being good, that's why you feel you deserve to be in heaven, that is the kind of good works that will not work in the kingdom, okay? Let me say this. You are not saved by good works. Tell the person next to you, you're not saved by your good works. You see, the person next to you maybe the is a very, very good person. But even if you're, you're the best, very good person in the world, if you're depending on that goodness, guess what? You will not be in heaven. You see, your good works are in vain. They are futile when you use them as your prerequisite to heaven. It's like... Lord, this is my ticket. I did a lot of these things. See, I go to church. I read my Bible. I do all these things. You've got to let me in. This is my ticket. Then the angel in heaven goes, nope. Why not? You got the wrong ticket. That's not the ticket. You try to get into a Levi's Stadium. See, I have a ticket. Let me see. See, that's a ticket to the, to the Hunger Games movie. That's not here. This is for the 49ers game. <laughs> wrong ticket. You see, you are not saved by good works, but when Jesus saves you, he saves you to do good works. The only time good works will count before God, will, will have merit, will have, uh, you know, um, meaning, is when it becomes a result of your salvation, not a prerequisite of it. Okay? And here, Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, tell the rich folks in your church, Tell them not to be haughty, not to be arrogant. Tell them not to put their hope in riches, but tell them to put their hope in God. Tell them to do good, to be excellent in the things in their person. And let that excellence overflow to touch other people's lives, good works. Let that goodness overflow and touch others. The common mindset among rich folks is that their wealth is for their luxury. The moment they hit their first million, all they can think about is things that can pamper them. Ah, when I get my first million, or when I get my first $5 million, some of you are thinking, if I can just get $10,000, I'm going to buy. It hasn't even come to you yet, and it's already gone. You've already spent it in your mind. <laughs> right? The common mindset among rich folks is that their wealth is for their luxury and it's their right. Again, the Bible, Jesus spoke about the dangers of trusting in riches. Wealth, actually, when you're a believer, it imposes upon you a tremendous responsibility. You see, wealth is for a purpose. You see, the Bible says it is God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's not your training in that school, you know, and it's not because of your IQ. See, you can have all those things, but if God says, nope, no ability of, for, to, do, do, <laughs> to make wealth for you, then no matter how hard you try, nothing happens. That's why you have to acknowledge God. That's why we pay the tithe. That's why we give God the tithe. We honor God because he's the one who gives you the ability to have that wealth, to produce wealth. The wealth that you have comes from him. It's his blessing to you. But we rarely acknowledge him. But when you are a believer, you're a Christian, and, and you become wealthy, that means God blesses you with wealth. He allows you to become wealthy. There is a reason for that. And the reason is not for you to, to make, make a bed out of your dollar stacks. You know, like some famous uh, athlete that we know, you know, he sleeps with his money. So wealth imposes a heavy responsibility on its possessor. The greater our means, okay, the greater our means to help uh, for doing good, the greater the responsibility. What an opportunity for wealthy people. You know, what, what an opportunity they have to help those who are in need. We are blessed by God so that we can be a blessing to others who are in need. And as we live that generous lifestyle, there'll be, God will make sure there will be plenty for us, more than, what, more than what we need. Okay? How many of you are struggling with your finances? 
You know, I, my prayer for us, my prayer for myself and for all of us, is that God would give us more than what we need. Not so that we can lap it up and, you know, go to Las Vegas or do other things, buy, the, buy that car, you know. So, no, it's for us to be in a position that we can be a blessing. We can be a channel of God's blessing. That we can be God's instrument of blessing to others. This is a radical thing, especially here in this culture. It's a radical mindset. Jesus teaches us it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's a greater blessing. It's a great blessing when you can give. A couple of scriptures here. Titus chapter 3 says here, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to, to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Okay, let's read that again. So that those who have believed in God. How many of you have believed in God? Those who have believed in God, so that if you are this, then you are to be careful to devote yourselves to good works. Not for selfish gain. Here's a good thing. When you go about God's business and you build his kingdom, when you, you know, when you focus on his kingdom, he will make sure that he will build you. If you honor God first, he will honor you. And the wealth and the things that God will bless you with, those are just, you know, bonuses. But the fact that you're able, even if you don't have much, you're able to give, that is wealth in itself. That, see, real riches is not with what you have. It's in your heart, and it's about what you can give. I see a lot of poor folks who are more, I, I see them, they're rich. Not, not, not with riches, but they're rich. Their life is rich. They're filled with peace. They're happy, and they're able to share. And as poor as they are, they're able to make other people happy. And then we see people who have everything they need, and they close themselves up. This is my money. You can't touch it. Can't touch this. Okay? 80s kid. <laughs> can't touch this. Verse 14 of Titus 3 says here, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. You see here twice. Be careful to devote yourselves to good works. You know. And then here, you must learn to devote yourself to go yourselves to good works. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Okay? You know what? I just, I'm just reminded now. Jesus, uh, some, somewhere in, um, in the Gospels, Jesus said, It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And you see, part of the fruitfulness as a follower of Christ is you doing good works that bring glory to God and that help other people. Okay? That is what we are commanded to do, whether we're rich or we're poor. Okay, we are to do good, and we are to excel in doing good works. And here, the context, see, we're talking about good works here. We're talking about good works here, but the context of this being good and doing good works, it's in the context of giving, right? This passage, these commandments were given in the context of giving, of being Generous, of fleeing the, the love of money and pursuing God. And in doing so, as you pursue God, you end up becoming a blessing. It's in giving. It involves giving. And so here in these verses that Paul mentioned, that Paul was talking to Timothy about, he shows, he again basically shows the true meaning, the true definition, and the true purpose of riches. The true purpose of money. Of wealth. It's not to be a master. It is to be a servant. To fulfill God's purpose. Come on now. We are blessed to be a blessing. Now one of the richest people on earth. That ever walked the earth. Was Andrew Carnegie. Okay, places are named after him. Foundations. He started foundations in different charities. And museums. His name is all over the place. In honor of his generosity and charity you see andrew carnegie made his made more than during this time he lived in the more than 100 years ago he 
amassed the wealth of more than $400 million at the time. That it's probably, compared to now, that with inflation, that's probably worth in the billions today. But during his time, $400 million, he's amassed that, and he gave more than 90% of it away to charity. And here's what he said, a man who dies rich is a disgrace. If you live your life and you die rich, you still have your riches, you're a disgrace. Why? See, that wealth was given to you so that you can discharge it and put it somewhere where people can benefit from it. Others, not just you. He has given more than 90% of his wealth away. And he lived on about 10% of his wealth. And he was comfortable, very, very comfortable with 10%. Some of us, just the thought of giving God 10%. You go, see, that's why I don't want to be a Christian. It's all about the money. And this guy, I can live on 10%. And he has helped count thousands of people's lives. How many of you can say that he was a blessing? He was a blessing. You see, he is not remembered really for his riches. What, was he, what is he remembered for? He is remembered for his generosity. Can you buy generosity? Can you go to Walmart and buy that? You can't. Generosity is, is a heart issue. So you see, that is the real, true riches right there. You see, that trait of being generous. And the good news is this. You don't have to be a multi-billionaire like this guy to be generous. Whatever your state in life is, whatever your social status is, whatever your bank account says, you can be generous. Do you believe that? And when you move in generosity outside of yourself, I know that's hard. But when you move outside of yourself and move in generosity, that is what people will remember you. People will not remember you for how much money you had. But they will remember you for the, for the impact you made in the lives of thousands of people. You see, that's why it's foolish to, you know, it's foolish to build your life so much in material things and say, see, I have so much material stuff and I have so much money. You will not be remembered. Mother Teresa, she's not rich financially. But let me tell you this. She had two riches because that hit her riches he did, she didn't, her riches did not depend on material wealth. She drew from the riches from within her, from her soul, from her spirit. That's true riches. And in God's eyes, that is what matters more. It doesn't matter if you drive a BMW or a 1928. Well, that's, that's vintage. That's, that's nice, too. So... <laughs> Like a 12, uh, you know, a 15-year-old Winnebago, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. True riches are seen not in what one, one has, but it is seen in, one, in what one can give. Okay? This is greatly, and this is greatly expressed when, one, when one's heart is submitted to Christ. You see, only in Christ can we fully express a life of generosity. A lot of people can be generous, but the motivation is not really coming from a generous spirit. Some of them want to make a name for themselves. That's why they're generous. They're able to. But we can really express true generosity when we are in Christ. Because we know if we're in Christ, we have everything we need. Even if we don't have it now, we know it's going to be there. Because he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And if he's called us to do this, if it's his will, it's his bill. So I don't have to worry. I can trust that he will give me the provision that I need at the time that I need it. And now I can be generous because I know my supply will never run out. Thirdly, we are to do good. We are to do good works, excel in good works. And lastly, we are the rich and basically us. We're, this is also for us. We are to be generous and ready to share. You see? Be good. Be good. When talk about It's your heart, your soul. It's you. Not about your riches. It's you. Be good inside. You can't be good, really, because of your sin. The only time you can have goodness in you is if you abide in Christ. Only Jesus can be good. 
and he can impart his goodness to you. And as you are filled with his goodness, that will overflow to other people. And that's when you can express generosity. And see, as rich people, you've been blessed. Now be, do good, you know, do good works, and be generous and ready to share. Now let's dissect this a bit. You know, of course, we all know what generous means. It's basically showing readiness to give more than what is necessary. Okay? But it's generosity is also kindness. Showing kindness to others. That's what generosity is. When you, when you show mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it, that's generosity. That is ki- when you show kindness to someone, that is generosity. When you forgive someone, that's an expression of generosity right there. You see, you can't buy these. You can't buy generosity. You see, we are to be generous and, look at this, and ready to share. How many of you, have been, when you were kids, you always heard this from your parents? Share. How many of you are only children? You're, you're an only child. Can I see? How many of you are, you're just, you're an only child. Okay. So, but for those who have siblings, you heard this a lot, right? Share. Why do I have to share? <laughs> we are to be ready to share. Okay, and I'd like to break this down um, again. For us to really mine the Word of God, we just have to, again, look again. We can't just read it in the English. You have to look at its original text and the sense of that text, the cultural sense of what did it mean at the time. So it's interesting, the, the, the phrase ready to share is also one word in the Greek, okay? And this word is actually a derivative of the Greek word koinonia. And the word koinonia is translated into English as fellowship. And what does fellowship mean? What does koinonia mean? It means shared life. In your family, you have koinonia, shared life, right? You share the bathroom. You share stuff. I mean, like husband and wife, you have koinonia. You share things that you won't dare share with others, right? Don't ask me for details because you have details yourselves. (laughs) But in the church, you have koinonia, shared lives. That's why as we are brothers and sisters, the Bible says, if you are in Christ, there's no more Jew nor Gentile. There's no more rich or poor. There's no more slave or free, okay? There's no rich or poor. Whatever else, whatever barriers you have there, the gospel clears it all. And it puts us all in equal footing. And we are brothers and sisters. And our fellowship, our shared life is based on Jesus Christ. And that's why we share our lives here. We don't just attend service here. Hopefully not. That's why we encourage you to attend Victory Groups because that is an opportunity for you to, sh- to experience what fellowship is, what genuine community is, shared life, fellowship, okay? It means shared life. Romans 12, 13 says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That is the sense of what being ready to share is. Share what you have, okay? Share what you have. Remember, everything you have belongs to God anyway. And if he tells you to give that away, give it away. Right? This verse, again, going back to verse 18, and this part, be generous and ready to share. This verse may therefore suggest that wealthy people should share their hearts, not just their material stuff and their finances. They should share their hearts. You see, it's easier to give money than your heart. It's easier to give money than your time. It's easier to give money than your service. Right? But here, the sense of this. Rich people, don't just give your money and then, okay, I helped you already, okay, but stay away from me. But I helped you. Remember that, okay? Okay, remember that? Who's your daddy? The Bible teaches us not just to share our material wealth, but to share our hearts. Because it's only when you share your heart, share your life, that is how people will see the 
true generosity that comes from Christ. And many times that's the only time they will see Jesus in and through us. Be, that's why the Bible teaches us to be willing to associate even with people of low estate. You know, you're, you're a neurosurgeon or the premier orthodontist or the, the premier um, rocket scientist, whatever. I mean, you're, you're the genius. And then here's one whose work is manual labor. The Bible says if you are a true believer and that's a believer, doesn't matter what he does. Hey, brother, how are you doing today? You know, let's go have coffee. Tell me about your life. Tell me what, how did your week go? And then you share each other and then you share lives and you learn from the person. You learn the, wow, those are your struggles. Wow, those are foreign to me. How can I help you? Now, you see, you see, if we all understand this and we move in this kind of generosity, will it be, will people see Jesus in us? They will, right? They will. This pleases God. See, share your heart, not just your money. Bishop John Henry Bernard, this Irish Anglican minister in the late 1800s, said this, A kind heart as well as a generous hand is demanded of the rich. And he's speaking of that here in this, talking about this passage here. If you're a believer and you're rich, God expects you to have a kind heart and a generous hand. Generosity is not just giving money. It's also giving your heart. And here's an interesting fact. You don't, again, you don't need to be rich to be generous. The Macedonians, this is what they did. In their extreme poverty, generosity overflowed. And even in their extreme poverty, they were able to, be, to bless those who are in need. Their brothers in Christ in Jerusalem who going through a tough time. How can we help? How can I be a blessing? That's why Jesus, he looks at that rich, that, that is the true riches right there, the generosity, not the money. You see, when he was observing the people giving their offerings at the temple treasury, rich people were coming in, giving in, pouring in a lot of money. See, I gave a lot. I gave a lot. See, I gave my offering. And this poor widow, and Jesus being God, knows everything about that person gave two small copper coins to the temple treasury and walked away. That was worth nothing compared to what the, the rich folks were giving. But Jesus said to his disciples, hey, hey, come here, come here, guys. See that lady? See that woman? See that poor widow right there? She gave more than those guys. What? She gave two small copper coins. Those guys gave like whatever, how many shekels of silver? I mean, what, what do you mean he, she gave more? See, they gave out of their wealth. That didn't cost them anything. She gave out of her poverty and she gave everything she had to live on to honor God. And see, that's the kind of giving that Jesus notices. The one that costs you. The one that puts, makes you say, God, this is all I need, but it's not enough. But I'm going to honor you. I'm going to use it to be a blessing. And I put myself in a place where you need to provide for me. I put my trust in you. And when God sees that, he gets energized, and he makes sure that you get blessed. Amen? Amen? You don't have to be rich to be a blessing. You can be a blessing, even if you're in need. Somebody said this, if you're in need, sow a seed. Generosity is encompassing. It's money, it's your time, it's your service. So as I conclude, the motivation behind generosity, can you guess what the motivation is? Why can you be generous towards others? What is, what is the force behind that? Can anybody guess? It's love. Love is our life's ultimate motive. And that's why it is the greatest commandment. The two greatest commandments that summed up the entire Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. What is that commandment? Love one another. I have loved you unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly. And when we are in that place of love where we're unconditional, we're sacrificial, and we're selfless, that's when generosity overflows and blesses others. My dad was, is one of the most generous people I know. Generous. My, my sons, 
my three boys. They don't earn anything yet. They don't have jobs, you know, but during their birthdays when they get their, you know, uh, when they get their, when people bless them with, with gift cards or they're so generous and, you know, mommy, dad, do you, do you need me to pay for that? For me, th- these are the things I will remember them by when they, when they, when they <laughs> you know, whenever we're in like in Starbucks, you know, dad, dad, I, have, I, I can take care of this. I got this. I got this. And, you know, save it. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. No, no. If you, you know, save it for later, you know, it's okay. I have two. <laughs> See, that's, that's coming from a generous heart, you know. And why? I mean, you say, well, because he does, he doesn't underst- they don't understand yet the value of working and earning your, well, that's faith. We're supposed to be like that with God. They have faith. They, they don't care if they have or not. They know they're going to live. They have dad, mom and dad to take care of them at some point, right? And they don't have a care in the world. And here's what they always say. So you, you've used up all your, all your gift cards? Yeah. So, so what, are you, what are you going to use to buy, buy uh, the stuff that you see now? That's okay. I can just wait for the next gift card, which is like your next birthday. Yeah, I can wait. If we can just have the faith of a child, people, you, know, and you see, for me, that's what blesses me. That's what makes me love my, my sons more and more. Not, not that, you know, that's, what, that's what I appreciate. I'll take it back. I love them, you know, whether they do good or not. Okay, so, so, but I really do. Those are the things that I appreciate so much about them. See, that's that, their generosity coming out. Generous people, you know, those who you know, are making ends meet, and yet they still find the opportunity to support missionaries or to give to charities, worthy charities, without expecting anything in return. What else? Those who volunteer their time and their resources and their, and their expertise without expecting any pay or anything in return. They volunteer. And they volunteer their time to serve the poor and the needy. Those are people who are generous. That's why if you look at the most you know, uh, generous people on earth. It's those who have faith in God. Those who open their homes and practice hospitality, those are generous people. We are to practice hospitality. We are to be generous people. Let me read a few more things here. God measures the gift by the corresponding sacrifice. Generosity is deeply appreciated, honored, and, and a tremendous blessing becomes a tremendous blessing when coming from selflessness, right? When somebody blesses you and you know this person is in need, and oh, it's not about, you see, you, when you look at the money, it provided for you, but you look at the person's heart, oh man, see, this money can come and go, but that heart, it just touched me in the feels right there. You know? I'm just trying to be relevant to the kids, okay? So it touched me right there. It's a blessing. I want to be like that guy. You see, you've impacted people if you move in real generosity. You see, God is our best example of love expressed in generosity. God the Father gave His one and only Son. Gave His one and only Son to a people, to humanity who is considering Him as as their enemy because of their sins. He still gave His best. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. Generosity. Do we deserve it? No. But he is generous. He is good. And that's why he's, he's done that. And Jesus, his love for us, that love that motivated, it's that love that motivated him to take our place on the cross and take our penalty and die our death. You see, out of that generous act, it resulted in the salvation of people. Out of generosity, blessing came upon people. See, every time you move in sacrifice and be generous, you will be an instrument of God's blessing to others, thereby revealing Him to those you touched. How many of you want that for your life? You want that? Let's run away. Let's flee from the love of money. Let's pursue God. And let's behold Him so that as we 
behold him, we become like him. He imparts his goodness to us. And as that goodness, we are filled with that goodness, it overflows, it will touch other people's lives, thereby revealing him to the world. Amen? Let's all stand right now. And here's my main point. I'd like to leave you with this and we'll pray. God's love in our hearts moves us away from selfishness and it moves us towards a life of generosity, reflecting the generosity of God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your generosity, for your kindness. Lord, your word says it is your loving kindness that draws people to repentance. It's your loving kindness that melts the hearts of sinful people, sin-hardened people. And it's your loving kindness that melts away the blinders in people's eyes and it causes them to see you. And Lord, what an, what an awesome privilege it is for us to, be, to become channels of your generosity. Lord, it's not about us hoarding the blessing. Lord, you've blessed us so that we can be a blessing. Lord, help us to shift our focus from ourselves and help us to shift our focus to you and to others. That we look to you to provide what we need so that we can provide, the, we can meet the needs of others. No matter how big or small, it doesn't matter what our state is. Lord, help us to become generous. Lord, give us true riches. Lord, because if we have those true riches, the true riches of generosity and love and virtue, those things that reflect you, then it's going to be easy for us. Lord, to distribute and use our wealth as your servant for your purpose. And Lord, we know one thing. As we can be, as we're faithful in discharging our, Lord, our, our calling and our duties, Lord, you will be the one to provide more and more. You will entrust more to us, Lord. We don't look to the blessing. We don't look to the riches. We look to you, Jesus. And Lord, we repent today of thinking only of ourselves. Lord, would you forgive us of our selfishness when it comes to money? And Lord, help us to see money as your instrument. It's not even ours, but we thank you for entrusting us with it. Whether with many or with, a, with just a few, thank you for the privilege of you calling us to be a channel of your blessing. Help us to bless other people. And Lord, help us, Lord, to go out there and do good works and be generous and be willing to share our hearts, our lives so that you may be revealed. Thank you, Lord. We honor you and we praise you, Lord. We pray that this, what we've learned today, we take it to heart and it will become a lifestyle by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name.